Whoa. You know, we're moving from Passover to Pentecost. At Pentecost, things can get wild. What can you say? Come, Holy Spirit. Whoa. Well, this morning, uh, last Sunday when Chuck spoke, he gave an assignment for me to speak on some of the firsts of Jesus. And so that's what we want, I want to begin doing this morning. And this is to lead us into Pentecost. Now, we don't have enough Sundays between now and Pentecost to hit all of them, but we're going to hit the key ones. And so this morning, the message is Jesus' first miracle, bringing forth God's miraculous new wine. Amen. Now, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, we read, A wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. And so his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And when the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. It says this, the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana at Galilee, and by this he revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Now, when Chuck spoke last Sunday, he said we are in a new era of Holy Spirit movement. That's called Revival. He said we need to form a wineskin for explosive kingdom movement, and Jesus is the prototype. See, in his earthly ministry, Jesus worked for three years to develop a new paradigm so his disciples could understand what the church was supposed to be. And this year, as we move from Passover to Pentecost, we want to study the key firsts that Yeshua demonstrated. And these first principles are what allowed the church to arise. Now, last Sunday, Chuck gave us a list of some of the key firsts in Jesus' ministry. This was Chuck's PowerPoint from last Sunday. 
And today we want to look at the first of these, Jesus' first miracle. Now, Jesus' first miracle is recorded in John chapter 2, and it's really one of the most surprising things in the Bible. I mean, if you were Jesus, the omnipotent Son of God with the power to do any kind of miracle you wanted to do, what would you do first? You probably would never think to do what Jesus did. But it's important that we see why he did what he did. See, God is calling us to miracles. Tell your neighbor, you are called to miracles. There's an expectation of miracles in the air. See, miracles were promised in the Bible. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said, anyone who believes in anyone, how many is included in anyone? Anyone who believes in me will do the miracles I have been doing. I remember I was a very young Christian and somebody shared that verse with me and I thought, whoa, I wonder if that's really true. Tell your neighbor, it is. And you know, miracles are happening now. We are seeing demons driven out. We're seeing the barren give birth. We're seeing sick people healed. You know, even tongues and prophecy are expressions of the miraculous. But God wants us to seek him for more. See, it's time for miracles. There's a sense that we are at the beginning stages of a whole new level of miracles. God wants us to come to the place where it is as common to see the lame walk and the blind see and the dead raised. And God wants those things to be as common as tongues, prophecy, and deliverance are now. So how do we begin? Well, today we want to look to see how Jesus began. Now, John 2 shows us the beginning of Jesus' miracles. It was the very first miracle that he did. Now, Jesus had been baptized. He had returned from being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And he's on his way to Capernaum, where he would begin his ministry of driving out demons and healing. But he stops at a little village called Cana to attend a wedding of some family friends. His mother's there. Now, in the first century, a Jewish wedding was not a 30-minute event. <laughs> a wedding meant a full week of feasting and dancing and rejoicing. And so Jesus went to the wedding with his mom and his disciples went with him. Now, the disciples had heard John the baptizer's testimony about Jesus, and so they chose to follow him, but they didn't yet really know him very well. They weren't still completely certain just who he was. But partway through the week, the wine ran out. Now, that was a serious thing because to the Jews, wine is a symbol of joy. And you don't want to have a wedding without joy. And so Mary, Jesus' mom, goes to him for help. And while he objects initially, Mary knows he won't refuse, and so she tells the household servants to follow his instructions. And so Jesus looks around to see what they had. 
There was no more wine in the house, but they did have six water jars used for Jewish ritual cleansing. See, every time the Jews got ready to eat, they had to go through a ritual of washing their hands. And so they, for a week-long feast, they needed to have plenty of water on hand. And these jars were big. We're told they held 20 to 30 gallons of water each. And this was not drinking water, this was washing water. And Jesus tells the servants to go and fill the jars with water. And they fill them to the brim. They said, now take some of it and bring it to the head of the feast. And when the head of the feast tastes the water, he said something that amazed everyone. He calls the bridegroom aside and he says, you know, everybody brings out the good stuff first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best wine till now. And so the disciples, when they heard that, they realized a miracle has happened. Jesus had turned water into wine. Now, you know, this passage frustrates some religious people because some people have been taught that wine in the New Testament is really just grape juice, that it's not fermented. Let me tell you, it's really hard to picture the head of a Jewish feast saying, you know, most people serve the best grape juice first. And then when the people have drunk a lot of grape juice, they bring out the lesser quality. (laughs) But you have saved the best grape juice to last. (laughs) Now, in the Bible, wine is a symbol of God's goodness and blessing. God gives wine to make the heart glad. Now, drunkenness is a sin. God does not want you to get drunk. But it's not a sin to have a glass of wine. So why did Jesus change the water into wine? Well, see, this was the beginning of his miracles. His first miracle wasn't healing the sick or raising the dead or driving out a demon. It was providing wine for guests at a wedding feast. And John calls this miracle a sign. A sign is something that points to something beyond itself It's designed to teach us some things. I think one thing it's supposed to teach us some things about miracles. It tells us that God is concerned about every detail of our lives. I mean, if Jesus would perform a miracle to provide wine for a wedding, that means he's not just interested in religious things. He's concerned about every area of life. Jesus wanted to bless these people at a wedding by providing them with wine, then that means he wants to bless you too. He's concerned about the fears and the needs and the problems that you face every day. Now here's the most amazing thing about this miracle. John chapter 2 says this, the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee And in this way, he revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. So first of all, providing wine for wedding guests revealed his glory. 
That's just, you know, just think about that for a minute. That's a revelation of the glory of God to provide wine for wedding guests. But then he adds this. He says, and his disciples believed. They put their faith in him. See, this is when Peter and James and John and the rest got saved. They got saved when they saw Jesus turning water into wine. You know, that's the purpose of miracles. The ultimate purpose of miracles is to get people saved. But this wasn't just a miracle. It was a sign. And it's supposed to teach us something. I think it's designed to teach us some things about God's new wine. See, in the Bible, God's new wine is his anointing. It's the free release, the free flow of his life and joy and blessing. It's the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. And the anointing of the Spirit is often compared to wine. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul writes, Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the, the apostles, people looked at him and said, they're acting like they're drunk. See, they were acting under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've ever been around places where the Holy Spirit is just poured out in power, you'll know what that means. Because you get enough of the Holy Spirit, you find Holy Spirit can be intoxicating. Back in the Jesus movement, they called it getting high on Jesus. But God wants us to have an abundance of new wine. He wants to give us an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to bring a restoration of apostolic miracle anointing. Now, we have a little of that now, but God wants us to have a lot. See, Jesus didn't just give the wedding guests a thimbleful. You know, if those six water jars held 25 to 30 gallons each, that means Jesus provided for their enjoyment 150 to 180 gallons of wine. See, God wants us to have new wine in abundance. And this miracle, I think, gives us a picture of how to receive God's miracle wine. So there are several principles of new wine that we see in this passage. First is, as long as the old wine is sufficient, we won't look for anything else. You know, old wine is the best you can do in your natural abilities. It's man-made religion. It's human-designed ritual. And Luke 5, 39 says, No one drinking old wine wishes for new, for he says the old is good enough. And you look at Jesus at the wedding, nobody asked Jesus for anything as long as there was enough old wine. See, if religious tradition and ritual satisfies your heart, you'll never ask for something else. 
But the truth is, sooner or later, the old wine runs out. You know, at a Jewish wedding, wine is a symbol of joy. Most of us had joy when we were new Christians. But as we went on in our Christian life, for a lot of us, the time came when the joy ran out. When the old no longer satisfies, tradition and rituals don't help. The old wine is not enough to sustain. The solution is to call out to Jesus and do what he says. In John 2, verses 3 to 5, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mom said, hey, they have, they're all out of wine. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. You know, that is the best advice in the Bible. Tell your neighbor, do whatever he tells you. That's the formula for success in ministry. It's a formula for healing the sick. It's a formula for performing miracles. If you want to see healing in miracles, you need to listen for the voice of Jesus and do whatever he tells you. Number four, to get miracles, there's something you have to give up. See, Jesus said, let's start by taking those six big water jars. Now, the water jars represented their ritual. It wasn't a bad ritual. It's good to wash your hands. We all learned that last year. (laughs) But once Jesus had turned the water to wine, they didn't have any more water to wash their hands with. See, sometimes to get new wine, you have to give up your old ritual. You can't do things the way you've always done them. You know, that's one reason religious people don't usually like revival. Because when the Holy Spirit starts to move, many of the old things we were comfortable with have to change. To move into the next level of miracles, we're going to have to turn away from some of the good things we counted on in the past. Old ways of doing things. Somebody said the last seven words of the church were, we've never done it that way before. (laughs) Old ways of doing things have to go. Old doctrines, things we were taught. You know, when I was in seminary, I was taught very carefully, tongues are not for today, prophecy is not for today, healing is not for today, apostles and prophets are not for today. And I believed it. And then Holy Spirit showed up. And I realized those old doctrines got to go. So you may have to change what you think. Your old reputation may have to go. Somebody said, if you only do what you've always done, you will only have what you've always had. That means you have to give up the old to get the new. Principle number five, pursuing miracles makes you vulnerable. See, Jesus told them to take a glass of the wash water and serve it to the head of the wedding feast. How would you feel if he told you to do that? You would be scared to death. Because if the water did not turn into wine, 
you'd be the laughing stock of the town. See, sometimes faith is spelled R-I-S-K. New wine can be costly. To get miracle wine, you're going to have to give up your sense of security. I mean, what do you do if you're walking through the mall and the Holy Spirit highlights somebody to you and says, here's what's wrong with them physically. I want you to go over and pray for them and heal them. Woo! You know, miracles are like the treasure in the field. You have to give up everything you have to get them. You need to give up your sense of security. You need to become vulnerable to step out in faith. You know, sometimes you might get it wrong, but sometimes you'll see a miracle. Number six, if you've tasted new wine, you never want to go back to the old. The master of the feast said, you have saved the best for last. I think that's what God has done with his church. We've seen God do a lot, but I believe God has saved the best for last. Tasting God's new wine ruins you for life because you won't want to ever settle for anything less. You know, after you've seen a revival, you can't go back to church as usual. You know, I found a lot of us who were present during the Jesus movement and saw the great move of the Spirit back then, we became revival junkies. And there are probably thousands of us out there. I mean, we read about everything we can find about revival. We pray for revival. Every time we hear that the Holy Spirit has fallen in a different location, we rush to get there and try to get some of it. Why do we do that? Because after you've seen a move of the Holy Spirit, you can never go back to church as usual. Number seven, the release of miracles reveals God's glory and draws men and women to salvation. See, this is when the disciples believed in Jesus. They saw him turn the water into wine, this manifestation of miraculous power. This, this is what we've been thirsting for. People are always thirsty for God's miracle wine. And so there are seven principles for getting miracle wine. Number one, if old wine is enough, you'll never look for more. But number two, sooner or later, the old wine isn't enough. You know, in my book, Experiencing the Spirit, I tell a story of a guy I named, I call Ben in the book. But Ben was a friend of mine while I was in seminary, very highly intelligent man. He knew the Bible, mostly he knew theology. He read all the great theologians, and he loved to argue any fine point of theology. But I hadn't seen Ben for several years. And a few weeks after Linda and I got zapped by the Holy Spirit, the phone rang. It was Ben. He said, you got to help me. He said, there's got to be more to the Christian life than what I know. 
He said, if this is all there is, I don't want it anymore. And he says, I don't even know why I'm calling you, but I felt like God said, if I called you, you would have an answer. And so we shared what Holy Spirit had done in our lives just a few weeks earlier. He was just like, I got to have that. And so a few nights later, I went down, met with him and his wife, prayed for them. First time I ever prayed for somebody to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, he got thoroughly baptized in the Holy Spirit. And his life has never been the same. See, no matter what kind of old wine you have been drinking, sooner or later, the old wine isn't enough. And you need to call out to Jesus and do what he says. To get what Jesus offers, you may have to give up your old rituals. I mean, there are Jewish rituals. There are Catholic rituals. There are Baptist rituals. There are Pentecostal rituals. I suspect we even have some glory of Zion rituals. And however good your rituals are, your rituals will never get you Miracle wine. Number five, be prepared to be uncomfortable. God will make you do things you don't feel comfortable doing. You will feel vulnerable. Number six, be prepared to be ruined for life. Because once you've tasted new wine, you will not be satisfied with anything less. Number seven, the release of new wine reveals God's glory and draws men and women to Jesus. See, Jesus has miracle wine for you. Tell your neighbor, it's time for miracles. It's time to taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, we thank you as we move from out of Passover toward Pentecost that you are preparing us. You are equipping us. You are getting us ready to move into a new level of power, a new level of miracles. Right now, right where you are, say, Lord, I want more. I want more of you. I want miracles. Lord. I want miracles that we've never seen happen before.